0: hi good morning um thank you for uh being with here uh with me today and i i showed this clip of how to a grapevine, because that's where we're going to find ourselves this morning in the scriptures. Um, Jesus is talking to us and giving us a metaphor of pruning a grapevine, and I just wanted us to have a really clear understanding of what that looked like. For any of us that may not be familiar with what a pruning a grapevine looks like, I certainly wasn't. Um, I have certainly spent a lot of time in the wine region, and I am normally there when the grapes are in full bloom, and it is rows and rows of luscious fruit, and that is normally uh, the, the time of year that, that I see the fruit production. I haven't actually been a witness to the pruning of the actual physical grapevine, so I just wanted uh, to share with you to give you a clear picture of what that cutting, what that pruning uh, looks like, and what's involved. Um, this morning, our scripture passage is uh, the uh, Gospel of John, chapter 15, uh, verses 1 through 11. And we're going to read that scripture, and uh, if you could find that in your Bibles, and please stand with me, if you can, for the reading of God's Word. Thank you. This is the Word of God. By this my Father is glorified, that you bear much fruit, and so prove to be my disciples. As the Father has loved me, so have I loved you. Abide in my love. If you keep my commandments, you will abide in my love, just as I have kept my Father's commandments, and abide in his love. These things I have spoken to you, that my joy may be in you, and that your joy may be full. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, I thank you for the great privilege to study your word. I thank you for the great privilege uh, to be here this morning. I thank you that I am a child of God. I thank you for my sisters in Christ, and I thank you for everyone here, and I pray that our time together would be edifying to the women here. I pray that you would speak through me so that I would teach your scripture truthfully, with clarity, with transparency, Lord, I pray for the women who do not know you. I pray that they would, and I pray for the women who know you, that they would come to know and love you deeper than they already do. Lord, I, I, I pray that you would bless our time, and I pray that my words and my teaching would be glorifying to you above all. In Jesus' name I pray. Amen. Thank you. Please be seated. Okay, so we started, our passage this morning is the 11 verses, 1 through 11, and if I had to uh, summarize, sum up in a few words or one sentence as my pastor asked me to do, I would come up with this. These 11 verses are about glorifying God by bearing fruit in connection with, in relationship with Jesus Christ. That is the 11 verses summed up. That is a big picture of the 11. Now in those 11 verses it says a lot more than that and we could spend hours and weeks breaking down the 11 but we're not going to do that this morning. We are going to break down two verses. We're going to focus in on verses 1 and 2 and I'm going to read those verses for you now. I am the true vine and my father is the vine dresser. Every branch in me that does not bear fruit, he takes away. And every branch that does bear fruit, he prunes that it may bear more fruit. And there's a big idea here in these two verses, and the big idea is this, pain. Either the pain of being cut off entirely, or the pain of being cut back so that we would bear more spiritual fruit. But before I go down this road of pain, and before we look at these two verses, I want to give us the context of the passage of this whole John 15. I want us to be very clear about what was happening at the time that Jesus spoke these words. These are Jesus' words, and these are spoken to his disciples, the Twelve. This was the night before the crucifixion of Jesus. It was after the Last Supper, but it was before he was betrayed and sent to the cross. Jesus is speaking to his disciples in this sermon. This is quite often known as the farewell discourse or the last discourse. And I think when I, when I studied this passage, I, I was so... Uh, I was just marinating in the gravity of that, that these were words that Jesus was speaking knowing what was going to happen to him in a very short period of time. And because of that, he knew that he was going to leave them physically. Jesus knew he was gonna leave them physically and he was concerned for them, right? I get that. These men had been following him for three years, and there was struggle in that time, right? So now he's actually, he's not not going to be shepherding them in the flesh anymore. He's going to leave them physically. And so it's with great urgency that he needs to tell them everything he can about how they're to live after his death. He understands he has only a short time left to share everything about how necessary it will be that they should live by faith, adhere to him, and abide in him. Jesus knew once he left them physically, they would be tempted to leave him and to return to Moses, their Jewish roots, and the law. He knew they would be tempted to depart from one another, So he exhorted them to abide in his love and to love one another. He knew they would be tempted to shrink from their great commission, their apostleship, when they met with hardships and persecution. And therefore he prepares them in advance for these trials. And in order to teach his disciples in these last hours before his death, Jesus speaks to them using a metaphor. And what is a metaphor? A metaphor is an illustration, it is an explanation, it is comparing something to something else. It's a picture. And Jesus speaks to them and he often spoke to them and to the people using language and metaphors of common objects or concepts so that the people could better understand his character and his purpose. Here Jesus uses an agricultural metaphor to describe his relationship with his disciples. Janet so clearly um, showed us the metaphor of the tree and the bearing fruit from a healthy tree. And here Jesus is using another agricultural metaphor. He's using the grapevine to describe his relationship with his disciples. He uses the illustration of the grapevine because of the one of the key areas in Israel, one of the key areas of industry in Israel was in fact the wine industry, making this concept of fruit production and all that involves very relatable to his hearers, his disciples. They would have understood that it was the vine is the life source. The branches draw their nutrients from the vine and the vintner or the vine dresser the vine owner the vineyard owner the owner tends to cares for and prunes those branches they would have understood the process and the roles of each one so here he's illustrating the vine who is jesus the life source then there's the branches which are his disciples that's us, we draw our nutrients from the vine. And then there's the vintner, that's the vineyard owner, the vine dresser, the God, the Father. He cares for and prunes what he wills. The metaphor is clearly describing a relationship. And what makes this particular metaphor so spectacular is that there is great significance among the number seven in the Bible. This metaphor is so spectacular because it is the number seven of the I am statements in the Gospel of John. And the reason we need to be wowed by this one and pay a close attention to this number seven is because the number seven in the Bible is always the climactic one. It's the climactic event. It's the climactic miracle. It is the big to-do. It is the big wowzers, And that is always the case. And I encourage you, if you want to do that as an aside study and just look at the number sevens and how that number seven is the climax of all of those seven, it is fascinating study. It's just an incredibly uh, good way to spend your time looking at his word. And so I want to just take a briefly through the seven I am statements, and I'm just going to read them quickly, and if you know them, and I bet many of you do, just read through them with me quickly now. Jesus says, I am the bread of life. I am the light. I am the door. I am the good shepherd. I am the resurrection. I am the way. I am the true vine. So this number seven of the I am statements is the absolute climax of all the others. And I'm going to tell you why. Old Testament scripture is full of references to Israel as being a vine that God planted. It is a way the people of Israel are described. In the mind of the Jews and the disciples, the image of the vine would symbolize the people of God, those through whom God had chosen to reveal himself and through whom all nations and people could come to the life that God alone could give to sinful humanity. But Israel, For all God's tending had not been the vine he meant it to be. Therefore, Jesus' declaration, when he reveals, when he refers to himself as the true vine, is declaring himself to be the fulfillment of all that Israel should have been but was not, namely, the place of life for all humanity. Christ is now the Father's vine. He is saying, I am the true Israel of God. I am the true vine, and my father is the owner of the vine, the owner of the entire vineyard. Do you see the climax, the fulfillment, the absolute fulfillment of the law? He is now all of what Israel was intended to be, but was not. And so with all this background information in mind, I just wanted to give us a a snapshot of why Jesus was speaking these words that he did and what was going on at the time. I want us to see the enormity of what Christ is saying in this seventh I am. And that's why we're gonna study this this morning and we're gonna look at those two verses and we're gonna hunker down in those two verses and not try to get to all 11 because I wouldn't be able to do all 11 justice in the time that we have together. So I don't want to forget what I said about the 11. Let's keep in mind that big picture, that this is a relationship. It's about glorifying God through the bearing of fruit. But we're going to hunker down in the pruning, in the pruning of the vine. And I'm going to just read for us quickly again, verses 1 and 2. I am the true vine, and my father is the vine dresser. Sorry, excuse me, I'm just going to read through half of those statements. I am the true vine and my father is the vine dresser. That's verse one. So here Jesus is setting up the relationship, right? Vine is Jesus, branches are the disciples, are us, and the vine dresser is God the father. So that's what this, that's what this verse is doing. It's setting us up. We can understand this, in order for there to be production of fruit, there must be a vine and for the vine to survive and the branch to bear the fruit, there must be a vine dresser, someone to care for and cultivate the fruit of the vine. Remembering the vintner only wants what's best for his vineyard. Verse 2, and every branch in me that does not bear fruit he takes away. And every branch that does bear fruit, he prunes that it may bear more fruit. I'm gonna divide this verse further down into two parts. I'm gonna divide it because there's a warning. And the warning is, every branch in me that does not bear fruit, he takes away. It's actually a warning and an encouragement. And the warning is this, every branch in me implies there is a kind of attachment to Jesus, a kind of believing that is not saving. This is a warning to false believers. Quite simply, what this verse means is that there are those who could make claims to the vine, say or think they are in the vine, but are truly not. Not every self-professed Christian is saved. Again, Janet this morning so clearly showed for us that there are false believers, there are hypocrites, there are those who could say they are in the vine and they could make claims to that. But the fruit of their life doesn't prove it. It does not prove them to be a follower. Now the encouragement in that warning, the encouragement is for the true disciple. It is for the true follower of Christ. It is for the truly saved. It is the affirmation that God's got this. The disciples would soon learn that one of them was not truly in Jesus. Judas was thought to be a true disciple, but turns out he wasn't. Here we have God saying, but don't worry about him. I see him, I will judge him, and he will be cut down and thrown into the fire, as he tells us later in verse 6. He's saying to us, don't worry about those false believers who say one thing and do another. Just as the vintner comes along and cuts those dead sticks who are still clinging to the vine, sucking life but producing nothing, he will cut those sticks off. They'll be gathered, they'll be gathered together, burnt, thrown into the fire and burnt. That is the picture of eternal judgment. So as believers, we need to be, as Janet pointed out, aware of but we don't need to worry about them. God has got this. Our sovereign God has got this. So the first work of the vine dresser here is judgment. He will discard the lifeless. And this is a serious warning to any of us professing to be a Christian. As a Christian, I do look at myself sometimes and think, am I, am I really saved? Do I really believe? Do I not just believe, but do I follow? Am I a believer or am I a follower of Christ? And I think that's a really good question to ask ourselves. I would rather be cultivated than discarded. The encouragement here comes for the true believer, the true follower. And the encouragement is this, every branch in me that does bear fruit, he prunes, that it may bear more fruit. So what distinguishes a true believer from a false disciple? And Jesus tells us in the second half of the verse, True disciples are fruit bearers. So the second work of the vine dresser is cultivation. He will multiply the fruitfulness of the true believer. And again, what would you rather? Would you rather be discarded or cultivated? Now, here comes the part. <laughs> um, the pruning, if we understand what pruning means, is painful, right? Pruning is cutting. It's cutting back that would with purpose. It's pruning with purpose. But that cutting, quite often, Is painful so I ask myself we might ask ourselves why why is he pruning us why is it painful and he's he's just we need to understand what he's cutting is anything that is going to inhibit our spiritual growth anything that he sees that we don't need anymore he wants to lop off cut away so that we may flourish So how will he cut off or remove from our life anything that could inhibit or get in the way or stunt our growth? I'm going to highlight two things. And the obvious one is sin. He prunes us by removing sin from our life. But he also prunes us by taking us through life circumstances. And what he's removing might not be anything sinful at all. It might be something we thought was actually good for us. It might be a relationship. It might be our health. It might be our ministry. But first, let's look at the first one. Let's deal with the most obvious, sin. So why would he cut it? Because it's hindering our growth. It's getting in the way of. It's blocking or choking out our spiritual fruit. What would that look like? Maybe our pride, our jealousy, our anger, or selfishness. God wants to cut these things out of our life, but guess what? He doesn't just wanna cut them for cutting's sake. He wants to replace it. He wants to to cut that sin out, and he wants to replace it with something else, with his spiritual fruit. The pruning is not a punishment. It's a means by which he can put something in its place, something beautiful, something that we should desire to want to be in place of our sin. So how practically, what's that going to look like? What's it going to look like when he cuts sin out? Well, one of the ways, and there are a few, but one of the ways, as uh, we learn in 2 Timothy chapter 3 verse 16, says this, All scripture is given by inspiration of God and is profitable for doctrine, for reproof, for correction, for instruction in righteousness, that the man of God may be perfect, thoroughly furnished unto all good works. Notice it says scripture is profitable for reproof. The word reproof is a word that has the idea of testing something, to expose its true nature it is approving that the inner reality in order to it is pruning the inner reality in order to bring to light any flaws or mistakes to reprove is to expose he prunes us by the reproof of his word by exposing our true nature through his word it is the word of god conforming us to christ and if you want to see what you're really like read your bibles As many of you here may know, and some of you certainly don't, um, I gave my life to the Lord not that long ago. It was the fall of 2012. I was 43 years old. I came to the Lord with a lot of sin. And in God's great grace and mercy, he saved me and he nailed my sin to that cross. And I no longer am in debt to that sin. But I came with sin. And in my human flesh, I needed to get rid of some of that sin. And some of that sin was so glaringly obvious that when he was cutting it away, it actually didn't really hurt, right? He was like snipping and, and, and it didn't hurt me. It didn't cut me to the core. And I was Grateful, I was happy to be shedding this ugly stuff, this really big, glaring, ugly stuff. My hemlines got longer and my necklines got higher, just for an example. My language got sweeter. I was more loving, I was more patient, I was more kind. I was producing fruit. I was growing in the spirit. There was a transformation. And it wasn't really painful at all. It was kind of like, I liken it to if anybody's lost any kind of significant weight, you know that those first few pounds fall off, right? When you got to lose 10, you lose the first three, no problem. It's that (laughs) seven that becomes painful, right? So we can shed these things without a great deal of pain. And that is God being merciful and gracious and kind. And it is such a blessing. But there's some sin that is so deep and when he starts getting close to that and when he's cutting closer to the core, as that video showed, when like they were just seem to be snipping off all that stuff over here, but when it got closer to the vine, those stems were thick. And you could see, and if you've done it yourself, you know that sometimes it's a two-hander to snip that off. And that is the pain that is the pain of the pruning when he gets really close to our cores and maybe he's asking for us to submit he's asking us to give up something that is either precious to us that is shaming to us have you ever have you ever had a secret sin That you've never confessed out loud to another person something that you absolutely confessed to god alone about something that you repented of something that you turned away from something that you are absolutely certain was nailed to the cross have you ever had that secret sin that you really thought (laughs) was between you and the lord alone and then have you ever been convicted by the holy spirit to confess that sin aloud to another. What is your natural instinct when God, when the Holy Spirit convicts us to admit that to another? My natural reaction is no, it's, it's no, please not Lord. Do you ever bargain? Do you ever beg anything but this? The Holy Spirit was convicting me to admit a sin where I thought I could lose everything. And this is where the rubber really hit the road in my Christian walk early on. Here I'm just thinking I'm getting rid of sin and this is great and I'm transformed and I'm regenerated and now the Lord has asked me to do something that I don't think I can do And I couldn't do it on my own. That's why for all those years, I never did confess it to another person. I was incapable of it on my own. But was I willing to trust in him? Was I willing to trust in the promises of God despite in the midst of the horrible circumstances? Did I trust in my sovereign Lord that he had this? Not that he would deliver me from it, but that he would carry me through it. And no matter what the outcome, no matter what the circumstance, that I would be held by him. So when I felt that I was jumping off a cliff, I wasn't jumping off on my own, right? I was completely connected and tethered to that vine. So I did jump. I did submit and I did walk in obedience, and I did confess the sin aloud to the person I needed to confess the sin to. And God blessed my obedience. He delivered me from my worst nightmare. He kept my family together. He kept my little party of five together. But you know, he didn't remove the consequence from my sin. He is still sanctifying me through the consequence of that sin. And that is how good and gracious and loving our God is, is that he will even sanctify us through the consequences of our sin in this fallen world. That he is transforming us through that sin, that he is bringing us through the hard so that we would bear more spiritual fruit. I cannot tell you of the blessings and the fruit that has been born of that confessing that sin, but I had to show up. I had to submit. You know, becoming a Christian doesn't remove the consequences. But being a Christian and being in Christ certainly gets us through the consequences and gets us through those life circumstances. And I think, what if I had not answered that call? What if I had not submitted what would that have looked like i would have kept on sinning i would have been living in that sin and that's not who i am i am a new creation do i believe that do i put my identity in christ or do i put it in all these worldly things that i'm so afraid of losing my point here is don't miss out on what god has for you don't miss out on his pruning or what the pruning intends god didn't punish me in that moment he wasn't looking to make me suffer in that moment he was trying to take me through something to produce something at the end so that i would be more useful at the end than i was at the beginning so do not ignore the lord's reproof do not ignore what he says to us in his word and And do not ignore the prompting of the Holy Spirit. And if we're not reading his word, we're not going to know what he's saying to us. And if we're not knowing what he's saying to us, we we don't even know what we're listening to. How can we be in tune with the Holy Spirit if we're not in his word, if we're not praying to be Holy Spirit-led? And I was praying to be Holy Spirit-led, so boy, was I ever surprised (laughs) when the Holy Spirit talked to me in that way. It was the last thing I thought he was going to ask me to do. But it is blessed my obedience and my submission to it. This brings me to the next way that God uh, prunes us. It's, It's not just our sin. And maybe you've never experienced a situation like I'd experienced and praise the Lord if you haven't. You know, I just I just love that not everybody is always deep and living. You know, I love that the Lord prunes our sin, whatever they may be. It doesn't have it's not he's not just going after the big and the ugly, right? There is There is constant regeneration and transformation that is going on in all of us at all times. So God will shape us, he will prune us through life's experiences. The the circumstances that befall us through no fault of our own. The removal of something we actually thought was good for us. It's not sin, but sometimes it's even something beautiful. Like I said earlier, it could be a precious relationship, our good health, our thriving ministry. How do we respond to the pain of losing these things? The things that seem unfair, the things that make us uncomfortable. You know, it would make perfect sense that um, as I was studying this, John 15, that I was studying this for the last couple of months, it would make perfect sense that um, I would be teaching on a passage only to be in a season of pruning myself. Like I said, it is always a constant ongoing removal of sin. I wake up every day, my sins are nailed to the cross, but I really have to deal with the flesh. And I am constantly looking to produce good fruit out of my desire and my love for Jesus Christ. But I don't always respond well to this pruning of something that I see as unfair. Something that Angie spoke to the other night, on fr- last night, of producing fruit in a fallen world and what that looks like. The fruit in Genesis before the fall was perfect and luscious and the fruit at the end in Revelation is perfect and luscious and abundant, but I'm here, I'm here in this fallen world and I'm producing fruit in a fallen world and what does that look like? And so some of the things that happened to us, seem unfair. We didn't ask them, we didn't invite the circumstances in. The pruning that I'm going through right now, just quickly, is my dad was recently diagnosed with dementia. And as many of you can imagine, that is a pretty devastating diagnosis because although he is very healthy in his physical, bodily sense, he is experiencing a disease of the brain that he's not going to have any control of. And if you would have told me a year ago that I would have been in this situation, that my dad would have been feeling in this way, I wouldn't have believed it. It just couldn't have been possible. The the descent in his dementia, the rat has been rapid. It's been rapid. I can barely keep up with uh, the new daily developments of what that looks like for him. So not only is my heart breaking for him, Uh, when he is in the moments of clarity, and he understands that he's losing his mind, he has those moments of understanding that, and it's killing him. You know, he feels like the walls are closing in, and he's right, because the walls are closing in, and one day, and it's probably not going to be too long from now, that there will be physical walls around him. He will be institutionalized. He will be in a home. And it's killing me to see that, because I love him, and my heart breaks for that unfairness, but it also breaks for me. (laughs) My heart breaks for me because of how much it hurts me to see him suffer in this way. My heart also breaks for me because I'm not comfortable in this circumstance. Now, nobody would. I get that, but I've also, in this watching him suffer, I've also been given a new role in in addition to being his daughter, I am now his health advocate. I'm his only living blood relative in Canada, and I am his health advocate. He has been married to a beautiful, wonderful, lovely woman for 43 years, and she is no longer physically able to care for him. She's in a physical bad way. He's in a bad mental state, so I'm taking on this new role of health advocate, and that makes me really uncomfortable because I don't want to be an advocate for anybody really, right? I'm an ambassador for Christ, but I don't really want to take on this role because it involves things that I don't like. Um, It involves maybe um, confrontation. It involves difficult conversations. I don't like to have difficult conversations. I want to be a peacemaker. I don't want to uh, confront somebody in the hospital who hasn't taken good care. I don't want to question somebody. I don't, I go to a restaurant and I don't send anything back. Right? I might not like the meal, but I smile and I, I thank them for their service and I would never send anything back. So, you know, it is a real stretch for me to make these phone calls on his behalf. I don't like talking on the phone. I'm hard of hearing and it's very difficult for me. And I, I don't like talking on the phone. And guess what I've been doing for the last two months? I am calling everybody. I am making decisions for a man who always made decisions for himself. And I am struggling in this role. And I'll tell you... I railed against it in the beginning. I railed against it. I didn't like it. I didn't want to be here, and it was unfair. And praise the Lord, I didn't last there very long. Praise the Lord that I could just humble myself for a minute, take my eyes off of me, and put my eyes on him. What, Lord? What are you trying to teach me in this circumstance? I don't like it. But if I believe in your promises, you tell me that this is actually for my good. Do I believe that to be true? Do I believe that I can produce something beautiful out of the crummy circumstances in my life? And the answer is yes, it absolutely is. But again, I have to show up. I have to show up and I have to submit to that. I have to I have to stop relying on my own self in these challenges to get me through it. You know, the thing is, I'm not going to invite these challenges into my life. Who would? And I'm not going to invite the fear in, and I'm not going to move through the fear without the Heavenly Father guiding me through it. I'm weak. And who knows that more than me? God knows it. God is not going to leave his branch unpruned. He's gonna take away exactly what needs to be taken away in order that we would grow more like his son. And more often than that, growing more like his son comes through the pain of these trials that we're experiencing now. Do I have to let him? I have to let him train me in these experiences If I will submit and obey. Last night somebody asked me, thank you for the question, how did you learn to submit? And it's a great question. Have you asked yourself that? Would you consider yourself submissive to the Lord? And if so, how did you get there? Because I don't think it's our natural response. And when I think on it, I did learn to submit. It was something learned. It wasn't my natural bend. When I came to Christ, I didn't all of a sudden become just the most submissive little thing you ever did see. I didn't. I was quite insubordinate, actually. But I learned because I had a mentor. I had two teachers. I had a mentor in the flesh, and I had my Heavenly Father teaching me. And my mentor in the flesh I'm going to give you a shout out, Janet. I cannot help it. it was Janet Sorette. She intentionally discipled me with intentionality. Last night, Angie told us that we are um, one of the fruits is multiplying and making disciples. So it's not just within our own family that we are called to make disciples, we are called to make disciples throughout the world. And she did that. She trained me. She read God's word with me. She taught me how to read God's word, and she taught me how to find out for myself who God is. And she modeled it for me. She trained me. She gave me hours and hours of her time, but she also modeled it for me. And I looked to her. I watched her submit and obey. I watched her produce the fruit of the Spirit in her marriage and in her family and in her community. And That is what I look to for modeling and for teaching. I look to the wise women of Christ in my circle. I look to them to teach me about this fruit. I I look to them to teach me about how to submit and obey because I don't think we're going to have much fruit production without it. And Janet never pointed to herself. She always pointed to our Heavenly Father. She pointed to the perfect teacher. He perfectly submitted. He perfectly obeyed the Father. He prayed, Lord, not my will but yours be done. So he is our ultimate teacher. This is where we should go, the Word of God, to learn how to submit and obey. And I I do wanna make it really clear that submitting in our suffering and accepting our trials, moving forward, and trusting in our sovereign God does not mean it is necessary to suppress or ignore our sorrow or grief. Being Christian doesn't mean we don't bleed when we're cut. It doesn't mean we have to buck up and pull up our bootstraps and be superhuman. We have a savior who experienced sorrow, who was cut and cried out in pain. Our savior offers us the freedom to cry out to him. And Paul, the beloved apostle of Jesus, often expressed his sorrow, the sorrow of missing loved ones, losing friends, losing his own freedoms. However, he called this being full of sorrow and yet rejoicing. As he expressed his grief, he chose to stay close to Jesus and trust in him so that his loss would not be his final word. Express your sorrow, but trust in him. Stay connected to, abide in, be in relationship with him, and you will experience this joy. This joy cannot be produced without Christ without being in relationship with and connected with. And I think sometimes joy is a tricky one. Our circumstances aren't producing the joy, but our response to them is prayer, closeness, connection with Jesus Christ is the joy. That's what he talks about in the final verse. These things I've spoken to you that my joy may be in you and that your joy may be full. That's his desire for us. I also want to be sensitive to the degrees with which we suffer. I said earlier, all of our suffering is not deep end living. It is not the big, painful, horrible circumstances of life that we're experiencing. Thank the good Lord we are given seasons of reprieve, that life may not always be this for all of us. But God is working always working, pruning all of his fruit-bearing branches. So even if you're not in a season of deep end living, don't think he's not pruning you. And he's pruning you in exactly the perfect way in which you need to be pruned, regardless of how big or small the cut is. He is at work so that we would flourish in our Christian walk. And this is not a competition. We do not need to feel guilty because our suffering is perhaps minor compared to someone else's. What we do need to feel, though, is gratitude. Gratitude that we are in a season of abundant blessing and that gratitude would motivate us to turn to maybe somebody who is in a deep season of hurt. There is always a purpose. It is never for punishment. There is always a greater purpose and we just sometimes have to take our eyes off of ourselves to see what that purpose is. But sometimes I think we take our eyes off of ourselves and our own trials to compare them to others and instead of ins- inspiring the gratitude, what inspires? Inspiring the gratitude, it, it, we might actually end up with maybe a lackadaisical attitude about what is God is intending through this minor suffering. We may not pay it attention that it needs. We may think, well, this trial is insignificant, it's minor, I don't need to pay attention. Look at her, Sally over here, hers is so much worse. God is really working in her. He's not doing much over here. I'm in a season of blessing, I must have arrived. I must not have anything that needs pruning or cut back. Don't fool yourself. Sin is sin, great or small. And the suffering, regardless of how small, requires attention. It requires submission and obedience. The suffering, great or small, that God allows in our life is supposed to change us. It is supposed to make us more useful at the end than we were at the beginning. It doesn't matter how small the cut. Don't ignore it. Don't view the challenging circumstance as only an irritant or an inconvenience or something that's to be ignored. Trust the vintner has a purpose. Trust his pruning. God wants us to be more fruitful in the next season than we were in the last. He wants us, he wants to change us so that we would be more useful in the end that we were at the beginning. He wants to change us, that we would be more useful for his kingdom. And is this you? Is this me? Is this us? Are we? Are we submitting to the pruning, the greater, the small? Do we see God's intention in it? And how has it affected your life? What does that look like practically? Are you bearing more fruit? Are you growing in Christ-likeness? You know, I said at the beginning of this message that the entire 11 verses could be summed up as a relationship. About glorifying God by bearing fruit in connection with Christ. How is your relationship with Christ? Jesus is the vine and we are the branches. Stay connected to him so that you will grow in your Christian walk. Do not miss out on the relationship. Don't separate from the vine and try and do it on your own. He is our life source. It is from him that we draw the nutrients for this life in this fallen world. Understand the pruning for what it truly is. It is the fruit of a changed life It is the production of Christ-like character made entirely possible by our Heavenly Father, and without him, we can do nothing. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, I'm so thankful for your word, and I'm so thankful for my salvation. I'm so thankful for who you are. Lord, I pray that you would minister to every single one of us here, Open our hearts to what you have. Open our hearts to the understanding of, help us to understand what it is you are working at in our life, what you are cutting away, whether good or bad, big or small. Help us to understand it and respond to it. Help us to respond in submission and obedience. And if some of us don't know what those words mean or how it looks, I pray that our Christian sisters would call out to somebody who does. That they would take the training that you offer through other believers, Lord. I pray that they would take the training and the reproof that you offer in your word. I thank you for this morning. I pray that we would um, use this time away from our families and friends and other commitments, that this training, this teaching would be edifying to us, that we would think on these things, that we would we would think more on who you are, Lord, and that we would love you more and glorify you more. In Jesus' name I pray. Amen.